Bring it in, read options pod back after an exciting week five in the NFL. Uh, pretty fun week six in college football. Uh, we only really had one. My, my weekend of upsets prediction did not hold true, unfortunately. Um, a little, a, li- a little bit. I mean, we had uh, the Oklahoma, Texas one was there. Um, other than that, you know, uh, that is Scotty. No veto today. My man's working overtime, doing a bunch of stuff. So you get me and Scotty um, coming off of what I would say is the greatest weekend we've ever had in picks on this podcast. Uh, yeah, I'd say Scotty and I both went 10 2 and 1 against the spread through Thursday night through Sunday. We still have Monday night football tonight, but either way, I don't think we've ever, I think maybe once Vito had a really, really hot start. But if we were to go back through the years, the last couple seasons, I don't think we've ever had. And you and I both killed it here. Uh, so kudos to us. Look at us. We know some stuff about sports. We know things. And don't capitalize because this was a, a week I didn't actually put any money on the things that I uh, I that proved to be true uh, that I said on the podcast. So you know, next week I'll do it and lose a bunch of money because and, and yeah, I'm an idiot. Ten, so. Yeah, you'll go two, ten, and one. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be the exact opposite. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it's it is crazy, man. Like I started off getting Thursday night football very wrong, the Sunday morning game very wrong, and nailed both of those, and then didn't get a single game wrong the rest of Sunday. I mean, I'm just I'm elated with that result. If I'm being totally honest, I think that's fantastic. Uh, A very revealing week, I think, in, in the NFL. Now that we are kind of past. The, the quarter the quarter mark here in the season, I feel like we know some things. I feel like we know some things. I think we know that your San Francisco 49ers are very good. I think we know the Philadelphia well, Eagles yeah. are good. Yeah. I think we know the Lions are, are, are at least in that next tier below. Because I think as it stands right now, I think the Niners stand alone at the top. I think you take a little half step down, you get the Eagles, who have the potential to be just as dominant, but they just haven't looked at so far through five weeks. And then after that, the Chiefs still playing with their food a little bit. I felt like they could have looked a little bit better in that game against the Vikings, but they still held on. They still covered. Uh, the, the Bills, big setback, and they're now down probably their two best defensive players in Tredavious yeah. White and Matt Milano for season-ending injuries, which is brutal. Um the Dolphins get back on track, but, you know, the Giants, well, they're on the other end of the spectrum. Because even though right now it feels like we know there are two, like, I would say, like, elite teams, one of which being a little bit better than the others with the Niners. And then there's that middle tier. The Cowboys looked awful. Uh, not a good showing for a team that has Super Bowl expectations. But then on the bottom side, we know some teams that are really, really bad. Those being the New York football giants, the New England yeah. Patriots. Woof. That's scary. The Denver Broncos. Sorry, Vito. Not great, Bob. Yeah. Not great at all. That team is an absolute disaster. And then there's a bunch of stuff in the middle where there's going to be teams that are competitive. There's going to be teams that could end up being in an AFC or an NFC championship game. 
but are still disappointing from what we've expected so far this season. I would say the Bengals, though they've bounced back this week, the Ravens, the Steelers had high expectations, and even though they found a way to win that game on Sunday, you don't feel good about that team. There's some shocking statistics coming out of there. I still don't really know what the Saints are. Still don't know what the Saints are. They looked incredible. Or the Falcons, for that matter. I feel like we need to take a breather on the Bills here. I think they're like classically in there. The Jags, I have no idea what to expect out of the Jags. You have the plucky Colts and the plucky Falcons and the plucky Texans who have all been really, really fun teams to watch. The Jets showing like they may have a little bit of life left in this season. There's a whole lot of stuff going on that I don't really know how to figure it out. So we're going to work through it. We're going to go through all the games that we've seen so far. Um, and let's just dive into it. Uh, first up, Thursday Night Football, Bears, Commanders. You were as right about this as you've been right about just about anything on this podcast. You called it. You had the feeling this was going to be the game. The Bears just come out. Justin Fields, eight touchdowns in the last two weeks. Uh, that offense looked a lot better. And there were some reports that came out that said it might have actually saved Eberflus's job uh, winning that game on Thursday. And I think they're probably only one or two losses away from uh, – from that coming to an end regardless. But in the meantime, the Bears found a way to get a win. The Commanders, who I still think are if, – if you ask me to bet right now who's going to be the seventh seed in the in the NFC playoffs, I think I would pick the Commanders. But Thursday night was not a, a very convincing showing of that. No, it wasn't. I mean, they played well, you know, statistically. Sam Howell had a great game, another 388-yard day, two touchdowns, slow start for him. The defense looks about as as off as as I've seen them over the past few years, um, in Washington. I I I couldn't make uh, anything of that. Uh, you know the the Bears were getting into the second level. I thought Cole Komet was going to have a good day, uh, as predicted. Five catches on on five targets, only forty two yards, but he did have that touchdown. And then DJ Moore erupts uh, this week for for the Bears, and that's that's something that we haven't seen out of a wide receiver against this commander secondary so far this year um, is, is a receiver just really going off. And then the bears defense actually did a really good job of shutting down uh, the offensive production for most of the day. Sam Howell with a bunch of big plays, of course, I said, finishing with the 388 yards, but uh, no run game and very little, uh, very little uh, big playability, uh, a couple thrown in there, but Logan Thomas getting the brunt of it with, with, some intermediate action just with, with great frequency and nine catches. So I don't know. I, like I said, I, I don't think the commanders are any better or worse than, uh, than I thought of them going into this game. I just, again, I said it on, on Friday spot. I think this was one of just the weird games that the commanders are still the better team. I think but have no business losing this game and, and find a way to, to, to drop it. Yeah. I, I just, it was a weird, weird game. And it's just one of those that, like, no one was expecting it. Maybe Justin Fields is is clicking into something. I mean, I think the last two weeks have been the best he's ever looked at throwing the football. But out of the 280 passing yards he had, I think 240 of that went to DJ Moore. So, yeah. Or 230 of it went to DJ Moore. So we're not seeing a ton of uh, widespread distribution, right? Um, Cole Komet and DJ Moore seem to be the top guys. No Khalil Herbert for a little while on this team. But, hey, they found a way to get it done. The defense is still bad. Um, but, yeah, this is one of those that, like, I think you just kind of throw away if you're a Commanders fan. 
it's a weird game. They happen in every season. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, it's like when the Chiefs lost to the, the Colts last year or two years ago, whenever that was. And it's just like, wait, the Chiefs are really going to lose this game? Like, really? Yeah. And they find a way to, you know, it just does. Like, sometimes just weird, fluky shit happens in the NFL. I think the Commanders are the better football team. But that's why they always say any given Sunday, right? Or in this case, any given Thursday. A team can just come out and put it on you, and you just may not be ready for it. Might not be in the right mindset. Might be focusing on other stuff. You know, who's to say? You just played a bad football game. And yeah, the Bears came out and I think offensively played an A-plus football game, which we're not going to see too many of those performances out of that team this year. And for the Commanders, it's a bad loss, but it's still early in the season, and there's still wins left to be had. But knowing that you're playing in the NFC East, even though the Giants do look really, really bad, the Commanders still need these wins if they want to try to fight into that seven spot because I think you look at it like maybe the Falcons or maybe the Saints could nab that last you know wild card spot. Uh, the Packers, if they win tonight on Monday Night Football, they could slide into that that last spot. Um, but for now, it's still early. You're two and three. You get a bounce back game. The Bears, you you broke your snap, your your losing streak, right? You know, you snap that, you move on mini buy and, and we'll see if they can get some things rolling on the other side. Uh, all right, let's go to Sunday Jags and bills. This was a weird game. Uh, did you follow any of the storylines between um, like how the bills tried to handle flying over to London? They didn't fly over there until Wednesday night or Thursday night, which that is seems late. like an odd choice. <clears throat> yeah. Especially um, considering that the Jaguars had been there already. Yeah, they, they they tried to time it with like they, they would sleep through the night on Thursday night and wake up and get there. And of course, the players aren't going to say anything about it. But yeah, I feel like, you know, they've been doing these these London games. I think the first one was in 2007. Um, so, you know, we have a pretty big sample size here. Right? We have like 16 years of, of teams going over there. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Get over there early. Let your players get adjusted. It might affect your practice a little bit. But to me, like the Bills are still the better football team. The bigger takeaway now is that the injuries are starting to pile up already for Buffalo. And after a three-week stretch where they looked like they were the best team in the NFL, this was a major egg to lay. And it's not even that like Josh Allen was playing that poorly. Uh, as a whole, I really didn't think he, he played all that bad. Um, there were still some deep balls. He had the one interception. But, I mean, 27 to 40, 360 yards, two touchdowns. Um, the big difference here for them is they were not able to get the running game going, which is what you said. You know, you you called this saying that you thought the Jags pass rush was going to and, and their run defense was going to come up big in this game. And it did. And to me, the story of this game comes down to 196 on the yard on the ground for the Jags to 29 on the ground for the Buffalo Bills. And, you know, Josh Allen can throw it all he wants. He had two receivers go over 100 yards. But if you can't run the ball and control the ball that way and you're going up against a team that is good and is seeming to find a little bit of an identity here, you're going to be in some trouble. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, look, two big injuries on your defense doesn't help over the past two weeks. Uh, Matt Milano going down with a fractured leg. He probably will miss the rest of the season. But again, I think the the Jaguars offense runs through their running game, right? Every time that they've been a effective on the ground with ETN is when we've seen we've seen them be be not only in games but like controlling games um their ability to not only run the ball effectively but have the the 
sense to to hold on to the ball, keep it away from a team like Josh Allen and the Bills offense, I think is going to serve them well down the stretch because they are a good offense, especially when Trevor Lawrence is clicking um, as well. Then, I mean, their defense, it, it continues to get better week in and, and, and week out. Um, every time they, that they've, they've strapped it up and look, I think they've got the advantage here too. They've been in London for, like I said, this is their second straight game there. So mm. they didn't have any of the, uh, the jet lag, uh, that, that had, uh, that had plagued the bills, I think, um, which it really is a decided advantage when you, you know, are, are, are not having to worry about your sleep schedule, uh, how you're going to get your practices in. Even looking at a sheet of paper going like on, on a Thursday or Friday for walkthroughs, going like, okay, walk through at uh, 3 p.m. And that's like, what, subtract five hours. So uh, yeah. it's it's the early morning for you. And you go, oh, wait, no, I got to actually like, it's not the same time as, as I thought. Um, all of those little minor adjustments make a difference uh, at the end of the day. Um, and I know they're professional athletes, but those are, those are little things that, uh, that count. And I don't know, man, for the bills, it, it, there's, there's this rumors are swirling about the, uh, the connection between Stefan Diggs and, and Josh Allen. Again, uh, we saw a lot of that at the end of the year last year and, and through the off season and, and training camp, that was a, a topic of discussion and to be five weeks in. And now we're still talking about that a, a week removed from Stefan Diggs having a, uh, a pretty monster game. <laughs> Something's off, man, with that team. I don't know what it is. Uh, and we and we thought that they were they were clicking after they beat the Dolphins, um, and then all of a sudden, um, we, we we get news like this, and and their offense looked the way it did in in London. I there's there's something off to me. Yeah, I I mean I I think it's frustration, right? I think it's a team that like they felt like they were cruising. It's a team that's been at the top of the NFL for the last four or five years, and this year, especially the last three weeks, it felt like everything was right. And you saw how gutted the team was when Tredavious White, as who was one of the leaders on that team, right? He goes down last week, torn Achilles. And then now you fly across the pond. The whole, like, body adjustment thing, I think, is a really big point part of this. Like, I, I don't think it, it can be understated. Like, the Jags bought – like, typically when you have two teams going over to London, you're you're both going over there. You're both dealing with the jet lag. It kind of balances itself out. That's why, like, you know, people always try to bet the under in the London games, right? Because Or any sort of international game, whether it's in, you know, Germany or, uh, you know, in London. Like, you try to, you know, it's an even playing field. In this case, the Jags are over there. Their bodies have adjusted. They're used to that living in that time zone. They just looked faster. They looked stronger. They looked better prepared for it. On top of the fact, I think the Bills had a really dumb strategy in terms of how they were getting everyone over there, getting their bodies right. And I think if they could go back and change it, they would. Ultimately, I think that feeling when it's like something just wasn't clicking right in this game. I mean, they've looked awesome the last three weeks. So it it, it feels specific to here. It's like Matt Milano goes out of that game and the tone changes. The defense they're trying to rally it up. I mean, they they held them scoreless for the second and third quarters, right? It wasn't until the fourth quarter that the Jags were able to kind of put the game away. But the big difference here was the Jaguars just dominated time of possession. You know, they ran 84 plays in this game. They had 38 minutes compared to the Bills' 21 minutes. I, all in all, they just they were able to control the ball and the clock 
and they looked stronger, faster, more ready for this game than the Bills were. And then when it came down to it, like the Jags even like they were up two scores, but once they when ETN broke that touchdown off at the end of the fourth quarter, that was kind of like the game sealer, right? That's like the, okay, this is game. But then you remember, oh shit, that's Josh Allen on the other side. What do they do? Three plays and they're in the end zone. You know, all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, this is a one score game again with, with two minutes left. Like, can the Bills figure out a way to do something here? And that's the risky run because the Bills are always going to be able to do that if they need to, because that is the brilliance of Josh Allen. Um, but look, as a whole, like, yeah, it's 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 not what you like to see if you're a Bills fan. Mainly, though, I think it comes down to the frustration around like now our two biggest defensive leaders Two of the guys that have been a part of this Bills organization throughout the entirety of the Josh Allen run are now out for the season on a year where it felt like finally the Bills might actually be the best team in the AFC. And now they probably won't be. But they're still going to be really good. They're still going to be out there competing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's disheartening. I think if you're the Jags, though, like this is a like, – you, you get your ass beat by a division rival – at home in the Houston Texans with a rookie quarterback who objectively has been playing like one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL this season, as even though he is a rookie at CJ Stroud, but then you got this trip, right? And you know, you got to pull off two wins, even though you're not playing your best football. And the difference from that team we saw get absolutely blasted by the Houston Texans versus the version we saw play against the bills on Sunday night and day difference. And if they're able to carry this momentum back to the States, and apply that to the rest of their season. It does feel like the Colts and the Texans and and the Titans, they're all kind of going to cannibalize each other to some degree. If you're the Jags, you just need to take care of business because this division is there for you. And you are the best team in this division on, on paper. So you just got to go out there and prove it. And I, I think they will. I think they will. Yeah. It's almost like you have to put away the, the talk of like, Oh, can they take the next step? Because this is something we've talked about with the chargers for the last decade. And they haven't been able to. Yeah. So just like go one and know each week, right? That's the, that's got to be the mantra from Doug Peterson. Yeah. One and know. One and know. Uh, and Doug's really good at that too. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the one o'clock games, at least the East Coast one o'clock games. We have the Texans and Falcons, which ended up being a really, really fun game. Uh, yeah. The best Desmond game. Ritter's best. <laughs> yeah. By far Desmond Ritter's best game. Uh, he hits over 300 yards for the first time in his career. No turnovers. And what I really liked out of Desmond Ritter, and honestly something that we haven't seen out of this team altogether uh, from Atlanta, is that they were willing to push the ball downfield a little bit. Uh, Kyle Pitts, I think this might be his best statistical game, seven catches for 87 yards. Uh, Drake London having another really, had a huge catch down the line. Um, Mac Hollins with a couple of catches getting themselves in there. Uh, B. John Robinson, I mean – that play he made, the, the the touchdown that put them ahead. On the hip, yeah. <laughs> where he catches it like behind his back. But the thing that blew my mind with that play was he, he caught it one-handed like on his back hip. And as he's catching the ball, he's also doing a juke move and breaks the ankles of the defender that's trying to tackle him five yards in front of the goal line. And he just walks in. I mean, I understand it's not flashy. It's not always flashy. But like Bijan is as advertised, right? If, if Bijan, let's say, was on the Eagles, if the Eagles had ended up getting Bijan in the draft this year, or he was on the Niners, right, and they had never gotten McCaffrey or one of the Saints, right, it'd be like he would be one of the number one talked about people in the NFL because he'd be on a better team in a better situation with, with more opportunity. Uh, here, 
not a great offensive line, but improving. Um, and obviously that offense is flawed and young, and there's a bunch of things going on there. But if Desmond Ritter plays this way, we know this Falcons defense can play, right? They're young, but they also have some good veteran leadership. They have some good pass rushers, a great secondary. And they came out and balled out in this game. They really did. And um, credit to the Falcons. I, I'm not going to lie. I was pulling for the Texans. Uh, I had a parlay that had the Texans money line in it that I needed for that bet to hit. Uh, and when CJ Stroud marched down the field, throws the game, win, you know, what looked like it was going to be the game winning touchdown. Uh, I mean, what else can you say about a rookie? I mean, CJ Stroud has been the best rookie quarterback we've seen since Cam Newton. I mean, statistically anyway, but I mean, if you're just talking about eye test, I've, I, you don't see pocket passing rookies like RG3, Andrew Luck, Cam Newton. When those guys came in and were really, really good as rookies, they all had the physical side, right? Where they were able to run the ball and they were able to do stuff. Like Andrew Luck could also pass the ball from the pocket there, but he was so unique. You don't see a lot of rookies come in and do this. You don't see a lot of rookies kind of come in and, and just dice up teams, make smart decisions, get rid of the ball when they need to make some gutsy plays. Like he Stroud ran for a first down on like a third and one that was really crucial. At one point took a nasty hit from it. It was a great play where it was like a QB sneak, but he did a little stutter step and then followed the left guard because the left guard crashed down. Um, and then next thing you know, there was like a big open you know, hole there and he got wailed on by a defensive end and he took it popped back right back up they go down there and scored a touchdown I'm immensely impressed with what I've seen from CJ Stroud and he's doing it too with not a ton of help I mean look I know like Nico Collins has been really really good this year um but Dalton Schultz he's in that like Hayden Hurst kind of level of tight end like better than average but also isn't like one of the top tier guys he's been a nice you know that dynamic's been really good Tank Dell uh, Robert Woods finding some stuff like as a whole, you just have to be really excited if you're a Texans fan because you have, you you've hit on the head coach and you've hit on the quarterback and that means good things moving forward, and you have some good draft capital moving forward. I know they ended up you know losing one of the picks uh, in the trade at the top of the draft this past year, but two fun young teams um, that are trying to figure it out. It, it does feel a little Spider Man meme ish where it's the two Spider Mans pointing at each other with these two teams. Um, but as a whole, like the Falcons, they won the game. They figured out a way to get it done. It was a really, really impressive win on their part. And it's, it's such a, it's such a nice feeling. I think if you're a Falcons fan, if you're like, is Desmond Ritter the guy, is he not the guy? He shows you this and you hope that this is the thing that kind of propels the rest of his yeah, you know, career consistent. Yeah. But it is important to remember, this is only his ninth career start, you know? And, and so, it's not crazy for a rookie quarterback to not eclipse 300 yards through their first eight games, right? If it took the ninth game, it took the ninth, but we'll see if he can keep pushing forward. And uh, so far he looks really good. Yeah. Yeah. Ninth in the league uh, this, uh, I I believe this week with a, uh, an average time of 2.62 seconds to throw, but it was the, the gutsy throws that he was making, right? The throws that he, he wouldn't have made before where he held onto the ball or threw it away. It was tight windows to Drake London and Kyle Pitts, and he's finally finding those guys, which was a big problem through the first four games. Um, and then you you add Bijan into that mix in, in the receiving game and what he's what he's able to do with with his legs out of the backfield. We know, um, but it was it was the like I said, I think it was the the gutsy type of plays that Desmond Ritter was just like drop back, sling it, let's go. Um, what do we have to lose? We're playing the Texans. Our defense is better than them anyway. 
uh, type of feel to it. And so I think he did a really good job through that. I think he had nine different receivers uh, in this game as well, eight different receivers, um, but nine were targeted. That's what you want to see out of a guy who's who's been struggling. And, and, and again, kudos to him for doing what he's been doing all season and not turning the ball over. Um, because there, there were a couple of those throws that were, again, really tight windows that that he made the play. Um, and he he put the ball where Drake Lennon could catch it. He put the ball where Kyle Pitts could get it. Um, and, and and that's a sign of maturity, I think, for that quarterback. That's that's. I, I hope, too, that it could stay consistent uh, for for the Falcons because uh, – that that team looks pretty good when when all the things are clicking on their offense. That defense is going to keep it in a lot of games. I said that at the preview. Um, as long as they can they can capitalize on some of those some of those big plays and some of those those uh, take a chance type of plays, they're going to be in a good uh, good position. Yeah, I mean they were my pick to win the a, the uh, NFC South. Um, the thing I like to see about Desmond Ritter too is I feel like in the, in through the first eight starts of his career, he was playing. Scared might be a little dramatic, but like he was playing more scared. Like he he wasn't playing with the confidence, the fuck you confidence of like, I'm going to I'm going to fit this ball in this hole. Right. And sometimes like you don't want that. Right. Sometimes if you do it too much, you turn into Jameis. Right. But you do need a you do need it, though. Like you can't rely entirely. You can't be afraid to make turnovers. You can't be afraid to make mistakes. You have to be willing to to fire some balls, push the ball downfield. And we'll talk about this when we get to the Steelers Ravens game, because I think it's very similar to Kenny Pickett. And part of that's the offense that they run in Pittsburgh, too. But in this offense, you have plenty of weapons, man. And if you want to if you want to try to zip one in there, that's what it takes to be a really, really good NFL quarterback. You can be. Josh Rosen, you know, you can be Colt McCoy. You, you can take care of the fo- – or Sam Bradford's probably a better example than Colt McCoy. But, like, you can be one of those quarterbacks that just checks the ball down, finds the easiest throw or throws it away. Instead, in this game, he said, hey, you know what? Like, hold my beer. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sling the ball a little bit. I'm going to see if we can, we can find some windows and push the ball downfield, attack the middle of the field. They did that, and it, it worked. And on that last drive, I mean, two huge throws on that last drive to get them down and into field goal position uh, to, to win a game. I mean, that takes stones, man. And, and it shouldn't take until, like, hey, it's the, we have to do this or we're going to lose the game for you to push the ball downfield. So it was encouraging to see Desmond Miller start to do that in the middle of this game, right in, in the third quarter, you know, when the game was getting tight, when they wanted to try to keep this game out of reach, um, especially when the, when the Texans were up, what was it like uh, 12 to seven at one point going into the fourth quarter, they needed two touchdowns. He said, all right, let's do it. Let's go out there and get it. And they did. So um, reason for optimism out of both of these teams. And, you know, I've said like, I really like Desmond Ritter. I didn't want to write him off. Uh, and if he plays like this, he's going to continue to have a really, really good NFL career. So Shout out to Desmond Ritter. Uh, all right, Panthers-Lions. This game was a blowout, but this is also like the, hey, and other than Adam Thielen scoring a touchdown to fuck over my parlay um, at the end of that, this was a really good game for uh, for Lions fans and people who like the Lions, right? Like, I love the Lions. You love the Lions. Vito loves the Lions. We all love this team because it's a fan base and it's an organization that has gone through so much shit. And they hired a head coach in Dan Campbell, who objectively everyone loved, but also everyone was kind of making fun of with the whole, you know, biting kneecap stuff. And ultimately, like, it's working. And a huge sign of a team that is really good is, are you beating tough opponents, divisional opponents well, like they did against the Packers, like they did against the Chiefs? And then are you putting away bad teams? 
And ultimately, like, that's what the Lions proved here. It's like, we are the better team. Our best offensive weapon is out of this game in Amon Ross St. Brown. Didn't matter. Didn't matter at all. Jared Goff still playing, like, the best football of his career, I think. Uh, David Montgomery, you know, that was a weird thing where we all, like, you're letting go of Jamal Williams? Like, you have Jamal Williams. Like, it seems like a lateral move. Like, why, you know, why are you making this? David Montgomery's been awesome. Like, I know they just spent a first – they just spent a first-round pick on a running back. He's not even the best running back on the roster. Like, David Montgomery's the best running back on this roster right now. Yeah. And uh, so they – and the thing is, they can beat you in a bunch of different ways, right? They can beat you throwing the ball, especially when Amon Ross healthy, spreading you out. They can beat you hard-nosed, ground-and-pound stuff. Uh, They can beat you with their defense when their defense is playing up to snuff, which Aiden Hutchinson – what an unbelievable interception. Uh, that little one-handed read the screen pass. You know, he has four interceptions already in his career. <laughs> yeah, I did see that. Isn't that incredible? That's incredible. Yeah, I, he's that's, like, that's nuts for a defensive end. There was some statistic that was like he's the first or he's like the fourth player of all time to have four interceptions and more than 10 and a half sacks through the first like 12 games or something of his career. And I was like, that's a pretty fucking weird niche, but also awesome stat. Like, I be mm-hmm. I didn't it didn't say who the other people were on that list, but I'd be really curious to know who the other people within their first like fifteen games or whatever the measure was that had four interceptions and ten and a half plus sacks uh, within that that time. But yeah, Aiden Hutchinson's been awesome. That defense can beat you. They can beat you on the ground through the air any which way. That's why, like to me, like I think they're. From what we've seen, I think they're better than the Cowboys. Like, I trust Jared Goff in this yeah, offense yeah. more than I trust the Cowboys. Like, the Cowboys' defense might be better, but I think the, the the Lions' offense is significantly better than the Cowboys' offense. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I mean, especially if you're playing a, a, a good defensive style of football uh, or playing a team on the opposite side that has a pretty good defense. If you're not able to run the ball uh, and the Cowboys aren't, then then – you're screwed. But I mean, for, for as bad as the, the Panthers have looked, their rush defense is actually pretty decent and they still gave up 109 yards on the ground and a touchdown to, uh, to David Montgomery. Um, so I, I think, I, I, I think I'm with you. I would put the, the lines up ahead of the Cowboys right now, just based on, on look, uh, but top to bottom, I think they're, they're a better squad uh, when healthy. 100%. Yeah. I, I, I look, at the end of the day, they're just – they're a balanced football team with a great attitude and a team that they believe. Like, they really do. And they have a great win on their resume. Their one loss came against what I think is going to be a playoff team in the Seattle Seahawks, which was an overtime game. Uh, and those two teams always end up playing uh, – you know, always kind of end up playing a, a little weird games, at least the last three seasons. They've all been really fucking weird, dramatic games. Uh Shout out to the Lions, man. Shout out to Dan Campbell. Um, the Panthers. Yeah. Dude, it's going to be a long I, year. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little worried about Bryce. I'm not going to lie. Like, I loved him in college. And there's moments where I see him in space where I'm like, okay, it, it looks like through five games it's getting a little better. I know he has no offensive line. And I know some of the passing numbers look okay. But, again, if you're just looking at the raw numbers – they're a little misleading because they're just getting blown out and they're, you know, they're, they're chasing 20 point leads trying to, you know, score garbage time uh, touchdowns to fuck over my parlays. Um, <laughs> so I, I just, I don't like what I'm seeing out of it so far. 
I know I feel like we've said this each week so far with with Frank Reich, but like I love Frank Reich. He's been um you know, he's 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 been a guy who helped win the Eagles a Super Bowl. Like I love the guy forever, but I the, the head coaching thing just maybe maybe isn't his jam, unfortunately. Uh but yeah, so shout out to the Lions. Lions are really good. Uh Colts Titans. The AFC South, man. This division is just going to continually just beat each other up all over the place. It's such a weird, weird division. But the Colts, no more Anthony Richardson, at least for the next month, it looks like. Maybe a little bit sooner. He had a grade, grade three AC joint sprain. And yet Gardner Minshew came in and did what he had to do. I mean, Gardner Minshew played really, really well. And both times he's had to come in in relief of Anthony Richardson, both of which they, they want. Well, actually, he started the game that they ended up going on and winning, too. So Gardner Mitchell's a great backup. We've said it forever. I think he's probably the best backup in the NFL. At least he's he's in that conversation. Um, I don't know what to expect out of the Titans. Like this is this is exactly what I was telling you on Friday's pod. Like. The Titans are going to be this up and down weird team all year, and they're going to end up being eight or nine and not in it. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they alternate win-loss, win-loss the entire season. Because every time we, every time they come off of a loss, they're going to play really, really hard and win a game. And then every time they come off of a win, teams are going to be like, oh, we can beat them. They're not that good. And then they're going to end up getting beaten. Like, it's just, it seems like they're just going to be a back-and-forth team all season. And this was weird, too, because, like, DeAndre Hopkins looked awesome in this game. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know how many of those games you're going to get. I mean, I... I, I still think if DeAndre Hopkins went to a different team, he would be just as good as he's been in the past. I think Tannehill is that bad. Uh, I know they got Skaronsky back, their, their first-round pick, who was uh, playing left guard for them. Didn't really help him all that much. Uh, the Colts' defensive line have been playing like with their hair on fire right now. Yeah, uh, they did a really good job neutralizing Derrick Henry. <laughs> they sure did. Um, but I'll, I'll say this, too. like If you're the Colts, though, like the win's great. But this is now what the third injury through five games that Anthony Richardson already has. That's a little concerning, and that's something that like I don't know what to like what to attribute it to. Like, is it he he's not super self aware? Is he taking bad hits? Is he bad at falling? Is is he just like so wrong? He's not seeing stuff. Like the concussion was fluky, but also he fell like really hard, smacked his head. The hit on the AC joint kind of feels like just like just kind of a football play that happens. Maybe it's just luck. I don't really know, to be honest. But the one thing that, like, yeah, three and two, that's better than people thought. Shane Steichen's a fucking awesome head coach. I love Shane Steichen. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing I just can't quite, like, put my finger on here is, like, yeah, like, if I'm a Colts fan, I'm happy we're three and two. But also, like, I'd like to be seeing my top ten or top five overall pick quarterback be playing and not Gardner Minshew. No offense to Gardner Minshew, who is very fun to watch play, but I feel like I'd rather be seeing Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I think week in and week out, that's a bit of a liability for sure um, to just be like, all right, Minshew, go out and, and play every week just like you're having fun slinging the rock because you come in for the uh, for the injured quarterback. But I'm with you, man. That's that's a concern uh, if, you're, if your top five quarterback is, is going to be on the shelf for for a chunk of time every year uh, because that team looks a whole lot different when he's in there. I mean, the credit to Minshew who came in and, and was able to to throw uh, 155 yards, get the run game going uh, as well. But, but that offense, it looks drastically different because of Anthony Richardson. Uh, and when he's on the field, he's a threat to run. Um, 
We know how good his arm can be. It's just not as developed yet for the uh, for the NFL game. And he's got, you know, he's thrown at Josh Downs and Michael Pittman for Christ's sake, and Mo Howie yeah. Cox. Like so, like, who also got banged up in this game? Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, that's that's some of the downside. Jonathan Taylor coming back helps uh, helps some of that out, I think, too. And now that like, I was most interested to see what the dynamic looked like with uh, with Jonathan Taylor and Anthony Richardson on the field at the same time. Because what Jonathan Taylor gives you out of the backfield from the passing game, not just the, the rushing game, we, we've seen how good he can be. Um, so so that opens up a whole bunch of stuff for your for your offense and the way their defense is playing uh, through the first five games of the season. Uh, they could they could hang with anyone. Yeah, and they proved it. And they also can lose to anybody, right? You know, yeah, they got right. they got shit housed by the, the by the Houston Texans. Um, but I mean, Gardner Mitchell is going to come in. He's going to give now I, again. And this is the brilliance of Shane Sykin. Like Anthony Richardson's looked okay throwing the football. Like it, it's not super clean, and some of them are a little check downy at times. But nine to twelve for ninety eight yards through the first quarter, like that's pretty good, man. That's pretty good for a rookie quarterback who's as raw as Anthony Richardson is. I'm with you too. I'm very much looking forward to seeing Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor on the same field. We're not going to get that for a few weeks. Um, but I think if you're, if you're Shane Steichen and you're Indy, like so much like Jeff Statland is the running game coordinator. And obviously the Eagles offensive line is really, really good. But Shane Steichen is like a football sociopath. Like I remember hearing a story from Jason Kelsey about um, like he got, he woke up at like three o'clock in the morning um, and, and, and like looked at his phone and he had like two missed calls from Shane Steichen that were at like two 30 and he had left him a voicemail. It was about some specific play that they had talked about. And like, what if instead of pulling you to the left through the A gap, we shift that down to the B and then crash this guy down. Anyway, let me know your thoughts when you wake up. It's like 2.30 in the morning. Like Shane Sykin has like, like Kyle better. Shanahan stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like he, re- he really <laughs> is. And so much of that Eagles running game was benefited last year by having Shane Sykin there. And I think what they've realized is Zach Moss behind an offensive line that's playing really, really good football right now for the Colts. Zach Moss is is more than serviceable. He's been really good so far this year. And Jonathan Taylor was never going to get a huge workload coming back after missing training camp or at least part of training camp and then missing through the first four weeks. He gets six carries, 18 yards. He's getting his feet wet a little bit. I think by the time we hit like week eight, week nine, like this offense is going to be really, really solid. And I think eventually with Anthony Richardson, I think has potential to be really, really good. I would love to see them go out and maybe make a trade for a wide receiver. Um, but like, imagine like if DeAndre Hopkins had come to Indy instead of Tennessee, right? Just having someone yeah. like that to go. Cause I think Michael Pittman's really, really good. You know, I, I do think he's like a legitimately like, like a one B type of wide receiver. I don't know if he's quite in that top tier of number ones, but if, if he's your number one, like, you're not mad about it. You know, he's a really solid yeah. player. Um, I think if they could go out and find a guy who was like a DeAndre Hopkins, someone who can still put up really good numbers, but maybe he's on the down end of his career. Or if they want to make a trade like the Eagles did, they go out and get one of these splashy guys, you know, maybe a, a T Higgins, you know, who might be coming up soon. Um, one of those types of guys to kind of bring in, or they they target one of the draft. I think, I don't know. I think there's some, the, the future is bright in Indy. Um, meanwhile, Tennessee, again, Tennessee is going to be on this up and down roller coaster all season. And yeah, 
it, it's that's the Tannehill. It's like the Tannehill and the Cousins. They're, they're just going to be boom. Here you are, 50-50. And the Colt and the Titans are like they'll probably win next week and they'll be three and three. Look, I, that's just it's who they are. It's what they do. It's very weird. Uh, all right, up next we have the Giants and the Dolphins. Dolphins cruise here. Not the best Dolphins game we've seen so far this season at all. Um, but God is Devin Achan good. He is so freaking good. That touchdown yeah. run he had, he did not get touched the entire time. Yeah. Like he got <laughs> past the line of scrimmage. And then as soon as he got past the line of scrimmage, he just ran around everybody. It was like Bo Jackson in the techno bowl. Like just, Nope, you can't touch me. You can't touch me. I'm just going to run completely around you. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. And like the number one thing we said, going into this game and why I had the Dolphins as one of my locks was because like we will see a drastic difference in speed alone in this game, right? Like team speed and what the Dolphins have been building as an organization versus what the Giants have been building. And it was so apparent every single time, like, and the Giants, yeah, they had to pick six in the first quarter or the second quarter, like cool. Um, that offense is atrocious. The offensive line is terrible. The wide receivers are terrible. Darren Waller's the best option. He's probably going to roll his ankle at practice this week and will probably miss <laughs> the next six games anyway. The Giants are an absolute dumpster fire. The only one they had was one of the craziest and most un- improbable comebacks we've seen in the NFL in a long time after being down 28 to nothing to the Cardinals. Other than that, everything we've seen from the Giants have been absolutely abysmal. And now Daniel Jones – uh He'll be out for at least a few weeks. I mean, I, I know he had the neck injury a couple of years ago, uh, and it seems like this is kind of the same thing, which – and I'm not saying this to make a joke. I'm genuinely, like, curious if, like, that's an injury that is more exacerbated because of how fucking long Daniel Jones's neck is. Like, Daniel Jones has a giraffe-like neck, and getting rocked from behind by uh, Van Ginkle there on the Dolphins – that whiplash moment, like you saw it in slow motion, like it was a gnarly hit. And I, I if yeah. there's any doctors out there, maybe we need Vito's friend, who's a doctor, who we always we, we've referenced on the pod here. Can having a long neck like actually affect? Like, is is it more likely that you're going to get hurt with that versus if you have like a short neck and really stocky shoulders? I don't know. Um, but God, <laughs> the Giants are fucking Lamar. terrible. Yeah, the yeah. Giants are the Giants are fucking terrible. That's bad, yeah. man. Like they, they it, it's not even like like I can't even describe it as like bad football. There's not even there's zero organization on either side of the ball. They get lucky with the one pick that went for a 102-yard pick six that was their only touchdown of the game. There's zero organization in their wide receiving core. Darren Waller's not getting the ball at all. Their offensive line can't block worth a shit. How many times has Daniel Jones been sacked over the past what all season, but especially over the past three weeks, which I think is probably how, and this is how Russell Wilson ended up getting hurt for the first time. It was like, at some point you get sacked so freaking much. And granted that was a a pretty gnarly hit that he took, but you get sacked so much. It's like, dude, I can't like, I have zero time to even get the ball out. Let alone. And then you start getting like, and I'm getting pummeled. You get like those phantom pressures. Like it's like, you know, when you when you there's a name for it, but like when your phone isn't in your pocket, but you feel like you, it's vibrated, like you feel like you got yeah. a text. So you, you put your yeah. hand on like in your pocket. And you're like, oh, wait, my, my phone's on the table. Like, where? like, that's how he feels. But with pass rushers, like yeah. every time 
Like he, he he's like sensing pressure when it's not there. And then on top of it too, they don't want him to run as much because they just committed $160 million to this guy. Right. Right. You know, which how terrible does that contract look, which it looked terrible at the time, but somehow it's looking even worse. Uh, they, they look horrible. You know, the, the Kayvon Thibodeau, I guess is a bright spot kind of, um, Andrew Thomas had his one all pro season. He's looked really, really bad. Evan Neal's looked really, really bad. That's two top 10 picks that have not panned out. Uh, the, uh, the rookie wide receiver out of uh, Tennessee, Jalen Hyatt didn't even get a target in this game unless he didn't play and I'm missing it. No, he did. Yeah. Zero targets in this game. So I, it's just, it's so bad. What's crazy is like Tyrod Taylor came in and the offense actually looks better, but like that's it. it that doesn't fucking mean anything <laughs> like it. Cause you're already getting blown out. And the fact that the dolphins who we all think are a good team, and I would put them in that like top five of the NFL right now uh, in terms of teams, this was like a B minus game for them. Like Tua had didn't look great. Two interceptions. Um, the running game was awesome, but even guys like, Dexter Lawrence on the Giants. Like, where's he? He was one of the most unstoppable players in the NFL last year. And I don't think I've heard him talked about once in any sort of conversation about football other than our our podcast where we've brought it up. No QB sacks, no hits, no hurries this week. Yeah. And I'd have to look up the season stats, but I don't think that that's that far off. No. From his average. Yeah. And and Thibodeau, I think he, he fell on a fumble or had a sack in this game. But... And now, granted, like, look, they, they did play the Niners, they played the Cowboys, they played the Dolphins. That's three good teams. But they still look so fucking bad. Yeah. And they should be 0-5. And I, I don't know what you do. And and here's here's a fun game. Let's let's play the game because we can do this because Vito's not here. Which of these organizations would you least want to be? Short-term and long-term, just overall. The New York Giants the New England Patriots or the Denver Broncos. Cause I can at least make a case for the Panthers, right? And be like, oh, well, you got a rookie quarterback, a young team, new head coach. You're going to try to build. You got to, you have some draft capital. Like you're going to try to figure it out. You'll be all right. Even though they don't have their first round pick this year, which is brutal, but you still at least have a young quarterback that you can talk yourself into. Those three organizations are fucked. Like, We'll we'll talk about because I think we're, we're going to do the the Patriots and uh, Saints next year. But like the Patriots are fucked, and Bill Belichick might not be the head coach of the Patriots next year. And Mac Jones is horrible, and your best players on defense are gone, and there's nothing to be excited about on that offense even a little bit. The Broncos are in fucking hell, where they just paid the highest head coach salary of all time to Sean Payton, who has looked. Terrible as the offensive coach, as the head coach of the Denver Broncos. That defense is historically bad through five weeks. And Russell Wilson looks even worse than he did last year. It's like, and on top of that, too, you can't get off of Russell Wilson until 2026 at the earliest, unless you can find someone to trade him to or just eat an insane amount of money. But the cap hit on losing Russell Wilson means you probably couldn't even be able to field a team because of how much you'd be paying to Russell Wilson and cap. So it's like, I, I don't know which of those organizations and situations are now is worse, but that's three teams that we've become pretty accustomed to over the course of the last 20 years of being obviously the Patriots and Broncos really good. And the Giants have been really good over the last 20 years too. And they are in complete disarray. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's not ideal. And, and 
you look at especially not only the the expectations that the the franchise has they're like one of the pillars of the nfl and they're in a huge market but the fact that they made the playoffs last year winning games like like really tight games that they they had no business winning and, and somehow find a way to make the playoffs is is daniel jones the guy the offensive line has been better and then Brian Dables, the the coach of the year for for the job that he did turning that around, and then all of a sudden, like it just looks like this. Like I, I granted, we said last year, I think that they had the potential to be that, and they should be. And the same thing is happening to the Vikings, who were kind of in a similar boat last year, um, and and are now seeing the the pendulum swing the opposite way this year. But dude, this is like it's bad. Like it's bad for a team for a team that made the playoffs like this is bad. Like you're not even close to, to 500. You should be and five. Like you said, and there's no like end in sight. Yeah. And like, name me one important piece from their team last year that they didn't, that they weren't able to bring back. Like at least yeah. if you're like, Oh, they lost their offensive coordinator or their defensive coordinator, or they lost a, a wide receiver or cornerback or whatever. There's nobody. There's nobody important to that roster that was a key part of their team from last year that isn't on the roster this year. The Saquon thing I understand is like obviously a huge loss because he is the most explosive and most important player on your offense. But I mean, I they're just terrible. They're terrible. I in my vote, by the way, the team that I think is in the worst situation is still the Broncos. And I'm sorry, Vito. I just that Russell Wilson contract is going to haunt them for a long time because ultimately what's likely to happen is they're going to draft someone at quarterback high and they're just going to put Russ on the bench and pay him like $40 million to be the backup quarterback. And that's going to hurt. And, and, but it's better than the cap hit. (laughs) uh, Yeah. It's yeah. The cap hit right now. Like I think it literally would be like a hundred million dollar cap hit. Like I don't think they can actually cut Russell Wilson and still be able to field a team of 53 players in the NFL, which is unreal. It's unreal. Um, but yeah, the, the giants are bad though. The giants are in a bad spot. At least his contract, I think it's only like eight seventy five or 80 million guaranteed. They can get out of it after the second year. So, you know, if you still, if you want to get up and get a young quarterback, maybe someone who's raw, like a shooter Sanders or someone like that, who could go in and compete and then, you know, it wouldn't be the first time we've seen a quarterback get paid a lot of money only to be considered the backup. Like you think about like Matt Flynn in Seattle when they drafted Russell Wilson, they go out and gave yeah. him that big contract. And then Russ just beats him out in camp and is the better quarterback. And then Russell Wilson goes on to be a great player. Um, but yeah, the Giants are Giants are bad. Let's talk about the Patriots. Uh, 34 nothing. They go down to the Saints. Ooh. I think. I think my favorite fantasy pick I've made all season this year is in our league when I took the Saints defense because I could have taken, I could have taken the Jets defense. I could have taken like a bunch of really good defenses around the board, and I was like, you know what, Saints defense should be pretty good. They also have a really really easy schedule. I'm gonna roll with the Saints, and my God, or have they been good uh, from a fantasy standpoint? But um, I mean, look, they won 34 to nothing. To me, it was like the least ass kicking of an ass kicking. In terms of the Saints' offense against the Pats' defense, like watching that game, I'm like, yeah, Derek Carr had some nice throws, and they were able to move the ball a little bit on the ground. This was just like the defense absolutely pummeling Mac Jones and this Patriots' offense that just looks truly, truly horrific. I mean, 
Yeah, Derek Carr had 183 yards passing. They only ran for 136 yards on you know, on the ground. It wasn't some dominant offensive performance. It was a defense that just absolutely bullied the fuck out of a horrible, horrible New England team. Um, it's bizarre, and and like I was, I had the the thought today as I was driving home from work. I was like, shit, man. Like Bill Belichick on the Patriots is literally all I've ever known. Like when I was first loving football, he was the head coach of the Patriots. And like trying to imagine an NFL where there's somebody else on the sideline of the New England Patriots is, is kind of tough, man. Cause it's like you have to go all the way back to Pete Carroll. Like, but, you know, before USC Pete Carroll, you know, like that's how far back you have to go to see. Uh, I, I just, I think the relationship with Robert Kraft and Belichick has been strained for the last few years. I, I think. Kraft wanted to keep Brady in New England at all times. Belichick was doing his thing that he was so good at for so many years, which was, you know, basically getting rid of players before they, like right before they fell off the cliff. And I don't think it's ever been the same since they, you know, 2020. I mean, the the, the numbers and statistics are, are baffling when you think about how bad this Patriots team is. The two worst losses of Belichick's career in back-to-back weeks, um, they're one and four. The defense actually is not terrible but they're also down their two best players defensively and they're getting banged up on other pieces and other parts spots on that ball uh, on that uh, roster. It's, it's bad. It's a bad time to be a New England Patriots fan. The one thing I'll say, at least if it gives you hope is like if Belichick leaves, cause he's trying to chase down, he's like, I think it's like, he's like 18 or 19 games behind Don, uh, Don Chula for the all time wins list, uh, which I think he wants that record. I don't think he's going to get it in New England. Like, I think his best shot would be, like, if he and the, the the Patriots split ways and there's a team that's like, fuck it, Bill Belichick's available, come be our head coach, Bill. Come do it here. I think that gives him the best chance to go rattle off a couple of nine and maybe ten win seasons. It's not happening in New England, and this roster needs yeah. a drastic overhaul. Um, it's bad. It's bad across the board. Well, I mean, that's so – my question to you is how much of this is – Belichick's coaching and how much of it because the roster is in in shambles is it player development GM front office stuff which Bill Belichick also controls Mm -hmm. Uh, my answer is yes (laughs) (laughs) it's all I I tend to think it's more I tend to think it's more the the front office stuff like if he's not as occupied in in that sphere and just goes out and and coaches the guys on the field, he'll have less control over who is out there, but he can actually do his job and coach the guys he has on the field, knowing that he doesn't have to worry about, you know, taking care. This is like what we say when, when really, really top level innovative coordinators become head coaches, like, like look at the chargers. All of a sudden Brandon Staley is the, the most innovative defensive mind in the world. He becomes the head coach of the chargers. We expect him to at least have, enough input in that defense for them to be any good they stink yeah right so because he's not involved in that day-to-day so take him out of the the gm role bill belichick put him just back on the field coaching the guys that he has on the field and let someone who's got i don't want to say more talent necessarily but more experience for sure and, and is not preoccupied with also coaching a football team through a training camp preseason and 17 uh nfl games be the yeah. GM as well. So 
I, that's I, that's my theory. I, I think you're you're not wrong at all because I think you're you're absolutely right. He's been terrible in the draft. Like historically speaking, Bill Belichick's never been great at drafting players. He's been really good at finding guys and and turning them yeah. into something. Um, but they miss the amount of first round picks that they've missed on over the course of Belichick's tenure is astounding. Um, but I think it's just as much the coaching. Like to me, like I don't think he's ever made a draft pick that's as bad individually as the coaching malpractice he did last year with the offensive coordinator position, because ultimately like part of being a head coach is not necessarily the X's and O's and being right on the field for every single play, which we know Belichick does. And that's been well reported how much he likes to be hands-on coaching. It's also setting up your coaching staff to which he has two family members on the coaching. I mean, like say what you will about nepotism, whatever, like, (laughs) That's just not smart. Like, it's not a good look. If it works out, you're like, oh, my God, Steve Belichick, when's he getting a head coaching job? But it, that's that's not what's happened, right? Yeah. He's, Nobody's knocking down the door at Iowa for Brian Ferentz to be the next Exactly. Coach. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I, I think over overwhelmingly, the coaching stuff from Belichick has just been – like, coaching in, in the NFL is just as much about managing your roster, managing the organization, managing the, the – the, uh, actual like coaching staff as much as it is about, you know, breaking down game tape yeah. and Belichick's been absolutely horrendous at that side of being a head coach since uh, Brady's left. But on top of that too, you look at, what was it? 2021. They spent like more money in free agency than any other coach or any other team had ever spent in the history of the NFL. That set them up for failure. They've been terrible since that moment. Uh, I, I think it's all the above. I think it's all about, and it's not that the Saints are like a bad team. Like that defense has been really good through five weeks. The offense has yeah. been kind of meh, and the fact that you weren't able to—I mean, again, I know you give up two defensive touchdowns, but even twenty-one points to this Saints offense still doesn't really feel like it feels like a bad, bad sign to begin with. But then, of course, you end up getting your your doors blown off um, on the other side of the ball. I mean, it's. It's all the above, and I think I think this is heading for an ugly divorce um, come season's end because I don't think Kraft would fire him in the middle of the season. That would be surprising. Yeah. All right. Uh, one more game in the 1 o'clock before we take a quick break. We have Ravens-Steelers. The Steelers fucking Steelers again, man. Uh, unbelievable comeback in the, in the uh, fourth quarter of this game. A safety, a field goal, and Kenny Pickett being forced, well, I should say Matt Canada being forced to actually have a team that pushes the ball down the field. Um, this is a bad loss from the Ravens. Like just, I couldn't believe that this game was, was 10 to three for as long as it was. I felt like it was 10 to three for like three hours. And every time I looked up, I'm like, man, the Ravens still haven't scored. They still haven't scored. Uh, Pittsburgh's defense played really, really well. This is what we expected, right? This is what I was saying about the AFC North games. Like, there's just weird shit that happens. The Steelers always find a way to get this done. And when it mattered most, and they literally had to have a gun to Matt Canada's head and being like, tell them to throw the ball downfield, you fucking idiot. All of a sudden, Kenny Pickett was able to push the ball downfield. Right. And that's when we were talking about Desmond Ritter. And I was like, oh, it's nice to see him push the ball down the field. He was doing it at least a little bit earlier in the game. It was still mainly in the fourth quarter when they had their backs up against the wall. But like, when Kenny Pickett has to throw the ball downfield, and that's why he keeps having all these fourth quarter, two minute drives that go down and win football games. 
Because there are the moments where it's like, oh, wait, we can't just run the same stupid handoff or the same stupid screen that never fucking works over and over and over again. Oh, we actually have to push the ball more than five yards downfield. All right, well, I guess we have to do it. And then all of a sudden, Kenny Pickett can freaking do it. So push the ball down the field. Let George Pickens go out there and make plays. It's not like the yeah. Ravens off defensive line was beating the crap out of the Steelers the whole game. They were just running into a brick wall over and over and over again. I'm I'm so sick of watching because I like Kenny Pickett. I like George Pickens. When Deontay Johnson comes back, he's a good player. There's weapons on this Steelers team. And the absolute – talking about coaching malpractice that Matt Canada does on a weekly basis, if I was a Steelers fan, I'd be freaking nauseated watching this offense every single week. Because, well, that's just what Steelers football is. Fuck that, dude. This isn't 1974 anymore. Push the ball downfield. You don't have Jerome Bettis back there. You don't get, you know, freaking, uh, what's his name? Uh, Franco Harris. You don't have guys. That's not what football is anymore. Let Kenny Pickett throw the ball downfield. He can do it. He can do it well. It's, it's like, why did you draft him? If yeah. you're not going to let it, because, like, just granted, he was a good runner in college. Point. Good runner in college, but, like, you drafted him because he had a sharp arm. And so uh, on top of all that, the weapons, like uh, the advanced numbers, you look at them and you're like, George Pickens is never open. He's, he's like near the bottom of the league in separation rate through five weeks. But like you look at him in, in real life. And this is one of those examples where the analytics don't necessarily match up with what I'm seeing on the field. That dude is open all day and pick it can throw the ball. That last play was the most separation I think I've seen from um, from George Pickens all season long. But most of the rest of the game, it was like, just throw it literally anywhere because Pickens has proven not only in practice, but like in actual game situations that he can catch the ball wherever you put the ball on him. Yeah. And I think that is is again where the where the metrics and the and the eye tests differentiate themselves. I also loved. And did you see this too on that last play, the touchdown? It it sounded like what uh what was an audible call at the line of scrimmage from uh from Kenny Pickett really? uh, to the pass. And and <laughs> once they scored, they they showed footage of Matt Canada in the box and he's just like stone faced, like great. Everybody else is celebrating. They just scored a, a touchdown with a minute and change left. And against the the Ravens, who have been uh, one of the better teams in football all year, uh, their rival, their arch nemesis, all of this stuff, and Canada's just sitting there stone faced, like I didn't call that play. What do you do? And it's yeah, like that's I, Exhibit A of why this offense doesn't work. Like, go let Kenny Pickett loose, my man. Yeah, I don't know. It's, like, I don't know what kind of blackmail he has on Mike Tomlin. I don't know if it's just the whole oh, Steeler way. Like, we don't fire, you know. We don't fire head coaches, you know, that whole bullshit. Like, I just – you have to get somebody else in there, man. Like, we saw it the last two or three years of Big Ben, and now we've been seeing it now. Matt Canada was a terrible college coach. I remember when they hired him, I was like, how the hell did Matt Canada get that job? Mount, yeah. I, it's just yeah. – no, I don't know. It's it's, it's bad, dude. Across it's the board, stale. it's stale. Like, like, Najee Harris. When's the last time you saw Najee Harris have, like, a, a five-target game? Yeah. Because like that's where he's good is when you get him to be able to. Well, run you the can ball just use him in a bunch of different ways. Like, yeah, yeah, like you don't have to just. And Jalen Warren's been awesome. 
and fantastic. They're st- but they're still committed to just running the ball for a yard and a half straight up the middle with Najee Harris on every other freaking play and first That's and AFC ten. North football. <laughs> hammer first, down. For, yeah, hammer <laughs> down. First and ten, right? First and ten. What are we doing? Hand off to Najee Harris up the middle. Oh, how much did he get? About two yards. All right, cool. Next first and ten. What are we doing? You want to run that Najee Harris play again? Oh, you mean the one that only got two yards and has only ever, ever gotten us two yards? Yeah. All right, yeah, let's run that one again. (laughs) It's so dumb. Um, But on the other side of this, look, like the Ravens, everyone thought that with the offensive coordinator change, I thought this, I think I had the Ravens as the one seed when I made my picks for the season. Um, This offense doesn't look good. Now, look, I'm not blaming Lamar. Zay Flowers had two terrible drops. Mark Andrews had a bad drop. Nelson Aguilar had a drop. Um, as a whole, not really good wide receiver play, even though we thought this was going to be the year that it all improved. The one thing I will ding Lamar on was that interception on the fade route to OBJ was an absolutely horrendous throw. There's one thing you can't do when you're throwing that fade route is you can't let the cornerback get hands on the ball, especially because I think it was first and goal. It was like first and goal or second and goal. It wasn't like fourth down. We have to make a drop a play, but like you're running a fade route to OBJ. BJ and you either put it back shoulder, you put it high and going out of bounds to where only the wide receiver can get hands on it. What you don't do, do is throw it to the back pylon and on the side that the cornerback's on. I mean, that was an absolute gift in a moment yeah. where the Ravens should have been able to put this away. It feels like more and more, and I know I talked about it last week, like Lamar's MVP season definitely was a little bit of an aberration statistically from everything else, but he doesn't look like he's definitely not running the ball as much. I mean, he only ran the ball six times in this game. We're not seeing those crazy explosive runs out of Lamar when he scrambles. He's trying to be the pocket passer. I understand it's a new offense. It's going to take a little bit of time. It just doesn't look – it doesn't look good. And, frankly, it hasn't no. looked good all season. Like, there's not a single game where I walked away being like, you know what really popped today? The Ravens offense. Because even in the game where they look their best, they still only put up, I think, like 24 points. Like, so they're not executing to the level that they can because I do think there's talent here. And I understand all the injuries and whatnot, but like, this is a game you can't lose if you're the Ravens because you were by no. far the more talented team, even with the injuries. Uh, it's a bad loss. It's a bad loss. Um, this is what the Steelers do, man. Zone. Terrible red zone efficiency, too, which, like, I, that's got to get cleaned up. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the offensive scheme is is you're right, man. Because like that year he won MVP. There's like it's nothing but like like pistol sets and like running options off of that. And all of a sudden Lamar's got 170 rushing yards in the third quarter because like he doesn't need to pitch the ball because the offensive line is good enough to create space 10 yards down the field. And Lamar Jackson's an explosive runner. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, like it's the best receiving core he's probably ever had. Definitely. Um, they're not helping him out. That you're right. That throw. That first of all, the problem throwing a a up and over fade out to OBJ. Granted, I know it's a rookie uh, cornerback. JPJ is pretty good. We don't know. I've told you how good he is. Yeah. Uh, and and so <laughs> I don't know how you you throw that on the inside. Yeah. Steelers, not- man. Like this. This was a good win for them. The first first place in the AFC North once again. How about Pittsburgh it? Steelers. Unbelievable. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We got a few games we got to hit on the other side, including Scotty's Niners and my birds. Uh, so we'll do that on the other side and get you guys in the way to the rest of your week. 
All right, we've got the second half of the games on Sunday. We got five more games to get to. We'll start with the four o'clock games. Uh, up first, we have Bengals Cardinals. Joey B, Joey B's back, baby. Yeah. Um, what's crazy is it's like it was a palpable difference in the way he looked, running, throwing, navigating the pocket, everything compared to what we've seen before. And that offense looked really good. The deep ball touchdown he threw to Jamar Chase is one of the best throws I've seen so far Which this one? season. The 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 like really really deep oh, one, yeah, the like the sixty one. the yeah. like sixty five <laughs> yarder. I mean that. That throw, I mean, he uncorked it in a way that, like, I don't ever remember seeing Joe Burrow have that kind of arm strength. And he just absolutely unleashed a full-blown rainbow shot, kissed the clouds, came back down, and just right in the bucket into Jamar Chase. Uh, this is what we've been expecting out of the Bengals. This is the team that I picked to win the the Super Bowl this year. Uh, I'm – I just – 36 of 46, 317 yards, three touchdowns. The offensive line still wasn't great. They're able to run the ball uh, the best that they have so far this season. Uh, and the defense balled out, right? I mean, the defense came out for, for the Bengals. I thought played one of their better games as a whole. Uh, I know the Cardinals found their way into two touchdowns. Um, but primarily it was like, you know, I mean, you're holding Josh Dobbs 152 yards. It's less than 300 yards of total offense. Anytime you're keeping a team to under 300 yards of total offense, that's a really, really good day, especially in the modern NFL. And I know it's Josh Dobbs. I know it's Rondale Moore. And, I, and, and you know, I, I know this – we're not talking about, you know, the, the greatest show on turf here. We're, but nonetheless, like, the defense came out, showed up, played really, really well. Uh, and on top of that, too, I mean, how, how many – they had three sacks – uh, Trey Hendrickson having a monster year so far. Uh, I mean, obviously, again, I know I said this a couple weeks ago, but like we talk about Miles Garrett and we talk about TJ Watt. And we talk about Nick and Joey Bosa and those guys. Uh, we even talk about Hassan Reddick. We don't talk about Trey Hendrickson enough in the national landscape. We just don't talk enough about this guy because he's a fucking game wrecker. He's really, 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 really good. Um, and yeah, this is this is the Bengals team that you expect to be like a contender. Right. And and this game felt over even at halftime. It was only a three point game at halftime. It still felt like the Bengals were just in control of the game the whole time. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think the only the only reason for pause would be the O-line. But uh, even they played pretty well, uh, considering uh, it, it. that was probably their worst game. Of, well, it was one of their worst games of the year. Uh, but part but of it were, was tough. It was always Burrow tough to judge able. that, though, because of how banged up Joe Burrow's been, like sure. how he's been sure. able to mobile, you know. But yeah, yeah, it's still definitely a little bit of a weak point. He right? looks a lot better. And then, and then second is Jamar Chase had 19 targets. I'd like to, obviously, without T. Higgins in the lineup, but it it, it should be more balanced than that because again, he's always look, fucking open, though, man. He's always yeah. Well, that's open. the thing. Yeah. Um, so you know if he if he's getting 15 targets uh, every week, congrats you 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 are uh, a proud owner of. Uh, but you heard uh, that Jamar you heard Chase that last league, but. you heard that last week, right? After the game, Jamar Chase was in the locker yeah. room and he said, you know, he's always fucking open. Like this is the Joe Burrow being like, I got you, like I, I hear you, yeah. I hear you, I got you. The same thing yeah. happened with the Eagles, right? AJ Brown was upset that he wasn't able to make more plays, and and that's how I feel like I I don't think what AJ Brown did or Jamar Chase did was necessarily like diva wide receiver stuff i think it was just like they're like they want to make plays they're like i'm fucking good give me the ball i'm good when the ball is in yeah. my hands so let's hey, figure the out guy we to just, do that and the guy we just talked about in the last game pickens is like this is the same way he's like i'm yeah. always open 
just throw yeah. me the ball. Um, I'll go get it. And uh, yeah, so so I mean, yeah, you're used to seeing more bounce, but again, that's when T. Higgins is on the field. And again, if Jamar's always open, then so be it. Uh, 380 total yards. They win the turnover battle. 27 first downs, and then they controlled the ball for 38 minutes. That's uh, that's what you wanted to see out of a team, especially a team that they that we all know they should beat, that we all know they're better than in the Cardinals, even though the Cardinals have played pretty well uh, over expectations, I think, for through the first five games uh, even. But when you dominate a game like that, uh, that's the team that you you should dominate a game like that if you're the Bengals. Yeah, hundred percent. And and they look, they were one and three, backs up against the wall. Joe Burrow hasn't looked healthy all season. They needed it, right? They needed this game. Now all of a sudden, they're one game back of Pittsburgh going and Baltimore at three week. and two. Yeah. <laughs> and they go into the bye week with the chance for Burrow to get even more healthy. I, I feel like, and maybe this is, and we said this to start the season. We talked about it last year. This is the third straight season. The year they won only win the Super Bowl or uh, go to the Super Bowl is the same thing. They might just be a slow starting team, you know, but like every year it's been like, uh, are they good? Are they not good? Was the Super Bowl run? Was that a, a flash in the pant? Nope. They're just as good. They're back there again in the AFC championship game. They beat the shit out of the bills to do it, to get there last year. This year we go through the same exercise. It's like, we didn't learn anything from the year before. Like this just might be who the, the Bengals are because I, I, and look, we've seen the Cardinals play competitive defense. And I know they had some injuries and stuff this year, but it's early enough in the season where it feels like they kind of got those cobwebs off. This was without T Higgins too. Um, I I think the Bengals are going to go on a bit of a tear here. And and I know their schedule's tough. Um, but I mean, if you look at like in terms of that wild card situation right now, like there's only three teams in the AFC who only have one win. Right. So everyone else, and there's only two teams that have four. So Quick math there. What's that? Five minus six. So there's 11 teams right now in the AFC with either three or two, two or three wins, which means they're right there. They're there for the division. They're oh, yeah. there to, to potentially be a high, high rank seed. They're there to a very least end up as a wild card team. Um, because I do think still top to bottom, they're the most talented team in the AFC North. And I think that they should end up winning. Uh, and the Cardinals, they had their great win against the Cowboys. Thank you, Jonathan Gannon. Uh, still hate you, but um, this is the Cardinals that we've been expecting. All the reports have come out that the there's been rumblings about they're like already moving on from Kyler Murray. Um, but yeah, this is this was a game that Bengals needed, and they they found a way to get it done. Uh, all right, let's go Jets Broncos. The New York Jets again. Aside from that, I I, I didn't I said this to you before we started recording, but I'll share with the people. Horrendous bet, bad beat for me in this game. Uh, I had a parlay, you know, I never, I always say this. I never, I never bet more than like four or five bucks on sports and, and gambling and stuff, but I had like a five leg parlay. And the only thing I needed or four leg parlay, cause it was all the afternoon games. The only thing I needed was to make sure that the jets and Broncos under hit, which I had at like 43 and a half or something. And if the uh, jets had just fallen on that fumble and not returned it back for, for a touchdown, it would have hit, but with 38 seconds left, Russell Wilson ball slips out of his hands and uh, the Jets take it back to the house and just an absolutely horrific bad beat for me. Uh, one that will uh, haunt me for a long time. Not that it was a ton of money or anything again, but just one of those that will is seared into your brain. Cause you're just like, Holy fuck. Did that just happen? Like how, how did that just happen? 
Um, <laughs> but this is a great win for the Jets, man. This is an organization that's already gone through a lot, had unreal expectations. They play in a really, really hard uh, media market, which we know. Willie Colon was on uh, Ryan Rosillo's podcast last week and had a really, really interesting um, conversation with him about playing in New York and talking about how the media feels like they're almost a part of the team in New York, right. As opposed to in Pittsburgh, like you don't even think twice about it. So like the spotlight's on these guys. And I just, you know, we talk about it and we say it in passing, Oh, you're playing in New York. It is important to realize like the amount of pressure, the anxiety, all that stuff that comes into like being a pro athlete to begin with is tripled when you're playing it in a place like New York and then add really, really high expectations. Right. Then add being the number one thing that everyone's talking about all off season, only to have the quarterback. You just brought in Tara's Achilles on after four snaps, uh, in the season, you had really high hopes, and you have to go well, back five, to this. technically five. Sorry, <clears throat> right? The fifth snap is when he was when he uh, he tore it. Um, it's just it's the just brutal. Was like, the tear. <laughs> it's a brutal play, man. And like I like Robert Sala. I I I've even been coming around on Zach Wilson a little bit. Like I I kind of respect. I feel like he's kind of grown up a little bit in the last year, and I feel like he he didn't play bad. He outplayed Russell Wilson in this game. Yep. You know, and, and the did. defense obviously is really good. Uh, they got big plays when they needed to. There's still a couple of small mistakes, but they have Garrett Wilson. They have some decent guys. Brees Hall was phenomenal in this game. He's and, that dude. Yeah, he's really good. He's really good because he was a good college running back, but he was never this good at Iowa State. So for him to come into the NFL and be this good, and this is after tearing his ACL last year, uh, Pretty freaking wild, not gonna lie. On but on that same field that that he got 177 yards on this week. Yeah, yes, right. It was against the Broncos last year. Um, and yeah, the 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 best thing I can say about the Broncos were is that the uniforms look sick. On uh the uniforms looked really, really cool in uh <laughs> in this game. Yeah, the, the orange was sick. Yeah. yeah, they looked clean. Um, that's about it. Everything else, this team sucks. Sean Payton's been terrible russell wilson's been terrible the defense is horrendous um yeah it's just bad just bad across the board and they just traded away a guy they signed to a a, a five-year contract like a year ago and randy gregory which i said on this podcast he was going to end up on the freaking niners that's exactly where he went because yes for peanuts literally for peanuts Um, i'm okay with it yeah so it's Look, it's a bad time to be a Broncos fan. We we talked about it. I think if you're if you're looking at, I mean, look, at least they get their first round pick back this year. Uh, they don't have a second round pick this year because of the Sean Payton trade, where they had to trade and give up assets to New Orleans to get Sean Payton's rights to hire him. I, this is it's a bad time to be a Broncos fan, man. It's a bad Asinine. time. Just a couple of bad moves cutting it up. And, and you know what? Good for uh, I think I think the highlight of this game, and they got the game ball. The fact that Sean Payton called out Nathaniel Hackett and said that was the worst head coaching job of all time. Yeah. And maybe it was, but guess what? His offense just went out and demolished you. So shut up. Maybe it isn't though, because Urban Meyer was 10 times worse. <laughs> you know, the <laughs> well, Urban, yeah, okay. like nothing is going to ever be worse than Urban Meyer. So I get it. And maybe Sean Payton was just a little too used to doing TV and ripping off takes in front of a microphone. Um, but yeah. That was it's just bad. It's bad. And I'm happy for bad the Jets. Luck. I'm happy for the Jets. Yeah. They're two and three. Fine why, high. Yeah. Why not them? You know? I mean, they're probably gonna end up with like six wins, but say hey, fuck it. Why not? Why not the Jets? Why not? They're in the exact same spot that they were last year, right? Where everyone talked about, man, the, if Brees Hall doesn't get hurt, were, were the Jets gonna be good? Remember they went to Lambeau and beat Green Bay? Mm-hmm. Like 
And, and hey, say what you will about Nathaniel Hackett. He's gotten more out of Zach Wilson than anyone has. So, you know, cr- credit to this Jets organization, credit to, to Zach Wilson, to Garrett Wilson, to this defense, to everybody. I'm pulling for the Jets. I hope the Jets find their way into a, a, a into a spot in the playoffs. I really do. Um, even though I think I picked them preseason not to make the playoffs. I gotta look that up. I I they've, got, sure they've got a solid they've got a solid eight more winnable games on their schedule. I didn't, yeah, that's right. I didn't pick them to, to make the playoffs. That's right. Huh. Would you look at that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think they have a chance to, to win, you know, six or seven games this year. I, that, that to me feels about right. I hope it's more. Because um, it'd be a fun story. But, yeah. I mean, they've shown that they can hang with just about anybody, man. And they found out – they figured out a way to win this game. And, and if it's going to be ground and pound, play good defense, run the rock, and try to set up easy throws for Zach Wilson, then – that's how they're going to do it. And that's a pretty good formula historically. If you're good now, yeah. they did lose Elijah Vera Tucker, who uh, is, I think this is his third season, second or third season in the NFL. He tore his Achilles on Sunday, which is a big loss because he's been one of the bright spots on that offensive line. But like Mekhi Becton all of a sudden is looking really, really good. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how the rest of this looks. We uh, need to she- start dipping these guys all the way into the pool. I mean, instead yeah. of the uh- – just leaving the heel out, you know? The yeah, just get everybody. Story. Yeah, get the full thing. Nice. There you go. Look at look at you throwing a little little Achilles heel story at you. I like it. Uh, all right, Chiefs, Vikings, probably closer, but that's kind of been the, the Chiefs fans want. That's kind of been the story of the Chiefs this whole season. Um, they're finding ways to win games, right? And ultimately right now, like, we know they're going to be there at the end. We know Patrick Mahomes is amazing. Travis Kelsey rolls his ankle in this game, comes back. I'd be curious to see if he ends up coming in. I, I will say I do think it's a legitimate concern. Um, if they get in a game against Miami or Cincinnati in the playoffs against a team that can really, really put up points, I don't know if this Chiefs that this Chiefs team can, can get into a shootout in the playoffs and win. But I'm also not going to doubt Patrick Mahomes' Careful. ability to do yeah. that. You know, like I'm just not <laughs> like like they can. They've always figured out ways to do it. I, to me, it's like Andy Reid knows how to build his team. I have a feeling but that by the time we hit like November, like Justin Ross and Sky Moore are going to be like incredible. And all of a sudden, it's going to be the same Chiefs all over again. They're mm-hmm. going to be the one seed. They're going to roll their way into the postseason and, and probably make the Super Bowl again because that's just what they do. That's what Patrick Mahomes yeah. does. And Kelsey obviously is a massive role in that. The Vikings, and we're seeing it again, right? So far, they're 0-4 this season in one, in one score games. They had that incredible stretch last year. 11 and 0. Yeah. Right. And, and, and one score games. And uh, so far, uh, oh, I guess technically they're winning Carolina. They only won by eight. So technically that is a one score game. So they're one in four so far this season. Um, but Justin Jefferson's now a little banged up. And Kirk Cousins is looking like kind of a shittier version of Kirk Cousins. They still can't run the ball. Uh, the defense isn't good, even though they have Brian Flores there. Uh, it's just not a good football team. I think it's just kind of what it is. Now they get they they get the Bears this week, but then it's San Francisco. Uh, they get Green Bay. They have Atlanta, New Orleans, Denver should be a win. Chicago could be a win, but who knows? I mean, if if the Bears keep playing as well as they've been playing the last couple of weeks, the Raiders probably should be a win. But then it's Bengals, Detroit, Green Bay, and Detroit again to run out the season. I think by season's end, I think we're looking at the Vikings as like what would you say, like a five-win team? I think they're bad. Like, I just think straight up they're bad. 
I, I really think it's mostly the defense. It's forcing Kirk Cousins to to, be, to have to throw the ball. So that's part of why their run game isn't very good. The other part is that it's just not very good. Um, and their offensive line isn't great. But apart from that, Kirk Cousins throwing the ball is not as bad as he looks. He's second statistically in terms of uh, in terms of efficiency behind Patrick Mahomes um, so far this that's- year. So. But that's just Kirk Cousins stuff. It's throwing short of the sticks. It's exactly. checkdowns. It's doing nothing, you know. But he's using he's using uh, the guy who needs to get more involved is T.J. Hawkinson. But he's using Jordan Addison and Justin Jefferson the way they should be. Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, Addison's been kind of one of the bigger disappointments. I mean, this was his biggest game so far this season, and six catches, sixty-four yards. He had the touchdown. Um, there are flashes, right? There are flashes where you're like, okay, yeah. this team's competent. But it just feels like right now all of that luck they had last year is gone. You know, they just yep. it's gone. It's not the same team as it was last year. And and I don't Football think they're gonna be gods. able to hang that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and the Chiefs are still gonna be really good because that's what they do. And before you know it, they're gonna be unbelievable, right? And they're gonna be probably winning another Super Bowl. All right, last of the four o'clock games. The Philadelphia Eagles win against the Los Angeles Rams 23 to 14. The best game so far this season the Eagles have played in totality. Um, the defense was unbelievable in the second half. The defense was pretty good in the first half. It wasn't great. The opening drive was really bad. Not James they, Bradbury. <laughs> no. Um, the, yeah, the touchdown catch uh, in, in the second quarter over James Bradbury against uh, Puka Nakua. That was rough. That was a bad look for James Bradbury. But he's also a 30-year-old corner. And that's typically when they fall off the cliff. So I'm not expecting him to come out and be prime Deion Sanders, but I also don't expect him to get beat by a rookie uh, as great as Puka Nakua has been. But they pitched a shutout in the second half in this game. And if there's one thing, like the number one thing I want to talk about, I mean, like we'll talk about Jalen and everything else. Well, which Jalen? Jalen Hurts in a second here. Jalen Carter's fucking incredible. Yeah, he's nasty. He has three and a half sacks through five games. He's on pace for 12 and a half sacks as an interior defensive lineman as a rookie, which is literally unheard of. That is better than every single interior defensive lineman who has ever played in the NFL, their rookie season. He's already through five games, been the best rookie interior defensive lineman in NFL history. And it's only been five games. He's the most, he's like number two behind Aaron Donald in terms of pass rush win rate. Uh, He also is getting double teamed, only it's second most only behind Aaron Donald and he's been double teamed more uh, or not more than, but uh, has significantly more pressures than Aaron Donald does and has been beating double teams. Jordan Davis is incredible in the running game. Uh, they're doing this without Nicobe Dean, who was playing really, really well through the first couple weeks, but then all of a sudden Nicholas Morrow is coming out here looking at what, what one of the best linebackers in the NFL, uh, the secondary getting Justin Evans back was really important for them because they were so thin at safety uh, the the defense to me and Hassan Reddick, who you know people are talking, I had kind of slow start. He was playing with a cast through the first three games this year, right? Now that he has a free mm-hmm. hand, he's got three sacks in two games, and, and the sack he had to to win the game on fourth down to, to ice it out was fucking electric. Uh, this team, this felt like the most. Like this defense has higher higher ceiling than the Eagles defense did last year because it's not Jonathan Gannon because they can go up against good quarterbacks like Jonathan Gannon against a quarterback like Matthew Stafford is getting lit up, you know. But 
against Sean Desai, they came in, made adjustments. The defensive line was incredible. They did this without Fletcher Cox on the defensive line this week. Uh, you can't, you just can't say enough good things about the way this Eagles defense performed. Again, the one deep shot to Puka Nakua, that's going to happen. That's the NFL. You're going to throw balls up. Sometimes you're going to lose. They lost that one. The opening drive, the opening drive of Sean McVay teams, if you were to look up how many times they score a touchdown, I think it's like, I saw it over the weekend. I think it's like 40-something percent of the time Sean McVay's opening drive results in a touchdown. Um, insane. Yeah, like that. that's just that's just what happens, right? Like the, the opening drive, the script kind of guys, these West Coast-style guys, like McVeigh, that opening drive almost always works. And it worked for the Eagles, too. And then the second half, the Eagles offense struggled a little bit. But the only thing that I can say I'm really discouraged by from this game, and it's kind of been a trend all season, is the way the Eagles have looked in the red zone. Um, they're not converting in the red zone as well as they need to be. But at the same time, that drive with 40 seconds left on the clock to go down there, the one-handed catch by A.J. Brown was a thing of beauty. Uh, then to get the one-on-one, they take a shot at the end zone. He drafts the the P.I., which was a blatant hold, uh, and I'm glad that the refs called it. And then two seconds, you get one shot, tush-push. I mean, that to me is like the epitome of like, yeah, this play cannot be stopped. Like, you are so confident in that play that you're like, hey, we're, we're going for the touchdown here, and we're going to get it. It's not even – it wasn't even close. Um, all in all, just – Really, really impressive win, complete team win. It's not the Niners, right? The nine, that's what I said before. The Niners are looking incredible. We'll talk about them next. But uh, I thought Jalen played his ass off in this game. He bailed them out of a, a couple of mistakes he made that he bailed himself out of. But a couple of times on third and longs where he's just finding ways, he looked comfortable in the pocket. He looked aggressive running the football. Uh, this is This felt and looked more like a, an Eagles team that we were used to seeing last year, which I also think they might even have a slightly higher seeing ceiling. Cause I think the offense doesn't look as good without Steichen, but the defense I think has a much higher ceiling without Gannon. So uh, I'm happy, man. I, I, you can't come away from that game feeling anything other than positive. And it feels like, again, like the Buccaneers game, they dominated, but it wasn't a complete game. There was some stuff I didn't love. This felt like the most complete where like Jalen looked the most like Jalen, the defense played their best football so far all season in the second half against a, a good Rams team. Uh, I love it. I love it. I'm over the moon. Yeah. It's like I said, you can let Puka and uh, Nakua and, and Cooper Cup get theirs. Uh, and they both did. They were both, uh, well, Cup was over 100 yards. Puka had 70-something in the touchdown. But I think you said it best, like the, the adjustments on defense from Sean Desai. That's something you didn't see last year, right? Mm-hmm. It was – we we've got this game plan. Um, we think it's good enough to win every every time that we go out, and like there were no adjustments made by Jonathan Gannon, and it was the same thing for for how many of the of the seventeen regular season games and and everything through the Super Bowl, and it was like if you just made a tiny adjustment, we we would be all the better for it. Um, yeah. And so I think that's a that's a credit to to Sean Desai and the rest of the staff for uh, for making those adjustments. I think you're right. The the ceiling's pretty high for this defense. That defensive line is disgusting, even without Fletcher Cox. Um, I do think the uh, the team we're going to talk about next is has a bit of an edge um, across the line, uh, but for uh, like individuals, okay. I think that the the Eagles have have some of the nastiest players, uh, or a couple of the nastiest players on the D line. Um, 
yeah, I, I just I, another another day, another four hundred yards for your offense. Like, is yeah. that all five games that that's happened, or four of the five, something like that? The last four games, they've they've been over four hundred yards. Yeah. yeah, and you you can't complain. And that's what I was telling you on 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 Friday when we were, we were previewing the games here. It's just you know, like it's hard to be upset at what you're looking at, but like I get why you are because it's frustrating at times. Yeah. Um, but that you're right. They 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 did play the the best game, I think, top to bottom, on, especially on offense that they have all season. Yeah, I, I Jalen, 375 total yards, 300 through the air, 72 on the uh, on the ground with the the tush push touchdown. The interception. This is the second time this year where a defensive back just makes an unreal toe tap, and and while uh, while picking off Jalen Hurts, like there was one in the the Bucks game that was the same thing, like. That just usually doesn't happen in the NFL where like a cornerback or a defensive back is diving out of bounds, makes an unbelievable play and taps both feet in. Um, again, like that's stuff that you'll live with. I thought Jalen as a whole, like some of the stuff with like last year, if he felt pressure, he scrambled out, he threw the ball away, didn't take a negative play, right? Throw the way, get back to second and 10 or third and six or whatever. And, and, and just don't let it be a negative play. This year, there's been a lot of that. And in this game, Jalen took one really, really bad sack. And then he came up with like a 17-yard run on third and long to somehow, which he was like bending his body through players, somehow found a way to pick it up. Um, this was just from a, a decisive decision-making standpoint. I Everything about Jalen looked so much better in this game. And I'm hoping that this is like the light bulb went off for this team. We'll know in a couple of weeks they have the Dolphins. They, they play the Jets next week. And then they play the Dolphins the week after that. I think the Dolphins game is going to be a really, really big test for the Eagles. I'm not overlooking the Jets because we know that defense is good. But I feel confident about the Eagles defense going up against that uh, that 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 Jets offense uh, next week. But, yeah, I mean, as a whole, you have to feel good. How about this stat? In five career games against the Eagles, Aaron Donald, zero sacks, zero quarterback hits. That's, That's my insane. man. That's my man, Jason Kelsey, right there. Yeah. That's my man, Jason Kelsey, right there. And I, yeah. I love Jason. I know he had that big spat on the on the sidelines at the end of the game. Um, yeah. He, he kind of declined. He didn't say what they were talking about, but he did kind of allude that it might have been like, you know, I think a lot of us are frustrated with the lack of success in the red zone, which is an area the Eagles were really, really good at last year. So I think as, if that can improve, what's crazy, it's like a lot of these Eagles wins have been, you know, less than 10 points. In fact, I don't think, I think they might have one win this year. That's more than 10 points, but all of these wins could have been like 21 point blowouts. If they were just a little bit better in the red zone and weren't settling for field goals. So if they can figure it out, get the red zone offense going. What's crazy is the Eagles are five and zero, and I feel like they're at about like 70% of what this team could be. Right. Yeah. Like I think well, if the Eagles turn it on, you got to you got a stretch coming up. That's the say. Look, wild. it's daunting. Um, but after what we saw from the Cowboys, I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm still. Right. Don't worry. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm still worried. The Cowboys still a good team. I'm less worried about the Cowboys now than I was. You know, going into the week. But that's still. You know, the Eagles struggle against the Cowboys and against Dak. So I would still expect those games to be tight. Um, I don't think the Eagles will end up with the one seed. I think San Francisco is is going to end up because they have a much easy, easier schedule. But again, if the, if this team is playing up to like 85, 90% of their capability and they stay healthy and they get some guys back, that they've lost. Yeah. 
to me, they're just as good, if not better than what we've seen out of, out of the, the Niners, which nothing against the Niners are fucking incredible, but the one difference there, and for as great as Brock Purdy has been, we're going to talk about him because he deserves some flowers here in a second. Jalen Hurts is still better than Brock Purdy, and Jalen Hurts still gives you another a, a, another leg up over them. And I still think the Eagles' offensive line is better than the Niners. Everything else, I think you can call it a push. You know, you, you said the linebacking room's better for San Francisco. I think the Eagles are better at cornerback. But like other than that, it's pretty much a push across the board. So yeah. I, I I think if the Eagles wow. can can get Not up running to, back, <laughs> that's true. That's true. But hey, the, I mean, the Eagles <laughs> are the best running team in football. So. Yeah, was, I mean, yeah, McCaffrey's obviously a better all-around player, no question. But like, if we're just talking about being able to run the football, um, yeah, I, I think that's even a push. So I, I think as we get down to it, and obviously we're going to see these two teams play in what's it like a, a month? December second, my friend. December. Okay, December so we got some. 3rd, I'm sorry. Yeah, so we got some time. We got some time before that game. Um, oh, yes, we do. But yeah, it's going to be. It, it's just one of the things. I think if the Eagles can kind of max out the potential that they have. I, th- I think their their ceiling is still the best team in the NFL. Um, yeah, and as expected. luckily, I, I don't think anyone's going to argue that. No, but we say we expect it because the roster is good. But we, I think, we all underestimated the the turnover at coordinator and how much of a challenge that was going to be. Um, yeah, and there's still a lot that's going to happen. Like for the Niners, and we'll switch over to that game now. Like the only thing that's stopping this Niners team is injury, right? Everything else is there. Yeah. Well. But if you tell me that, like, between Kittle, McCaffrey, and Debo, are all three of those guys going to stay healthy for the whole season? I would be shocked. Not to say it can't happen. I'm just saying the likelihood is that one, if not two, of those guys are going to miss certain stretches of this season due to some injury that pops up. Now, McCaffrey hasn't gotten banged up, really, since he's been a Niner. Um, which is good. This is the healthiest stretch of his career, basically going back all the way to his rookie season with the, with the Panthers. So yeah, I don't know. Um, Eagles are good and the Rams are good. I'll tell you what, they're scary. Team yeah, the Rams place. are pretty. They're Stafford's frisky, good, yeah. man. Stafford's good. Like it's just, and look, it's nice we to talk, see the Eagles about play the, a good quarterback. Well, <laughs> we talked about the, the receiving core with Cooper cup coming back. I don't think there was any step back. From we we're like, what does that mean for Puka Nakua? It means he gets 70 yards and a touchdown on like eight catches. So like, yeah, I, take a seat. Like Stafford's going to sling the rock. It's Rob. <laughs> it's it's Robert Woods and Cooper Cup all over again. Like that's that's yeah. what's going to yeah. look like. I think he threw to Cooper Cup like seven times on the opening drive or something. Yeah. Uh, and and Cooper Cup looked awesome. Like he looked fucking yeah, awesome. he did. He's really terrifying good. to play against. Uh, all right, Niners 42, Cowboys 10. The Cowboys stink, and Dak Prescott stinks. <sighs> Um, no, I mean, the, the Cowboys are still going to be pretty good, but, um, your boys look fucking awesome. So I'll hand you the mic, all you brother, lead it away. Huge win. Really, really fun. When you have a big game like that against a good team and you just absolutely demolish them. It's one of the best feelings in sports. Oh, I know. Yeah. I I was worried this was going to be, especially after the first quarter, I was like, oh, this is going to be close. Like, uh, it's going to be a really tight game, but man, they, they played really well. Uh, on both sides of the ball, it wasn't just uh, the offense, you know, keeping their train rolling, scoring 30 points a game or more through the first four. It was everybody played well. I mean, at, at every level. I mean, Kittle from the jump was was playing like a man on fire. For the life of me, I don't understand why 
the the Cowboys didn't move Micah around like they usually do. They just kept kept lining him up on the left side for mo- most of the time and going one on one against Trent Williams, which is a battle you're as good as Micah Parsons is, great as Micah Parsons is. It's going to be tough to win a lot. Um, but the entire offensive line did a really good job of neutralizing that that uh, passing uh, attack, uh, or the pass rush from uh, from the Cowboys, which are a really good defensive line. I'm really impressed, and I think this is where I would give the game ball. I'm really impressed with that offensive line because one of the, uh, week in and week out, they've been getting better and better and better. And, and as long as they stay healthy, Spencer Burford and Colt McKivitz on the other on the right side have played far and away better than than I ever thought they would this season. They're showing that up on the, on that side because that was the one question mark I came in with. That in the secondary, the secondary did an absolutely brilliant job of try like it was exactly what I said. Travarius Ward going one on one with with CD Lamb and forced Act to make throws elsewhere and. Boy, did he make some dumb decisions uh, throwing the football against the the Niners' defense. But sure did. You know, this is what on offense, especially what what having Debo and Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk do for you. On top of, and then you put all of that together, on top of a quarterback who is seemingly so smart, he sees the game in such a different way. Uh, it's not the it's not the Jimmy uh, drop back one to get the ball out to to Debo over the middle for forty yards because that was the open play on a slant route. It was the processing that he has, like the, the some of the best throws I've seen from him all season long. There was a play that was uh, it was it was a, a third down play that went out. It was a corner route to Brandon Ayuk, an amazing throw, amazing catch. Uh, end up with a penalty that makes it third and 14. And then he has the lemons to drop an absolute dime over linebackers and, and in front of a safety on an in route to Debo Samuel to convert on third and 14. Yeah. I, I mean, the way that he's seeing the field is, is I, I can't even imagine what's going on in his brain. And that's exactly uh, what you want to see from, from a guy like Purdy who has these, now has a certain expectation, but is playing way above even that still. Um, yeah. So it's it's just fun to watch all all the way around, man. It is, and I, Purdy's been unbelievable. Like he has, like he's, and it's not he, he's making big time throws too. Like it's not just he's not just dinking and dunking. I'm giving him all the credit in the world. I still just want to see it, man. I want to see him against some adversity. Because the only time we would we felt like we were going to see that was last year in the playoffs, and then he gets knocked out of that game early, right? Like, and I don't think like if I say that people will perceive me as a hater for some for whatever. So you're just an Eagles fan. You don't want to face. You don't want to say he's good. He's been really fucking good, man. But I, it's unbelievable what he's doing. Like, I, I, it's literally never happened. Like since Ben yeah. Roethlisberger. Like it just this doesn't happen. But he's also around one of, if not the most talented roster I've literally ever seen in sure. the NFL. And a, a team that's being built the right, the right way. He's getting fantastic play out of the right side of the offensive line, which we all thought was going to be a problem coming in. They've been healthy through five games. He's doing everything he needs to do. And you're 100% right on the way that he sees the field and his processing and stuff. And that comes from having started, like, what was it, like 60 career games in college. Like, having that much experience – playing the position at a high level really helped him come in, but he's also 
he's not running the most complicated offense of all time either. He's running an offense where there's open wide receivers left and right all over the place. Right. And well, that doesn't been, mean it's not complex though. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is the decision-making for him is easier than it is for other players. Like other people playing the position. I'm not saying it's easy. Nothing about playing in the NFL is fucking easy. Okay. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that Shanahan's scheme and, and the brilliance that he is as a coach which is a testament to the organization and the team itself allows Brock Purdy's life to be easier. What's been the most impressive thing is that he's not just taking the easiest play like Nick Mullins and Jimmy G and CJ Beathard and all these guys did for years. He's elevating it to a level that I didn't think he had the capability of doing, which is because of his decision-making, his mental IQ, his football IQ, and his, his speed of processing is is what is really really impressive out of this whole group. I still want to see what it, what he looks like when his back's up against the wall and he needs to make big time throws because we just haven't had to see it yet. And I think that's a fair thing to at least say. Let's see them get in a tight game. Let's see, and maybe they won't. Maybe everyone will stay healthy and they'll they'll just run through everybody because they look that fucking good that I don't think even if they played the Eagles next week, I think they'd be probably like a seven and a half point favorite. They're on a neutral field. I think they're at least a touchdown favorite over the Eagles. Yeah. Right. So uh, to me, like, it's not that he hasn't been awesome. He's been fucking spectacular. But I also just, I, and this is my, I want to see what it looks like when his back's up against the wall, when, when McCaffrey gets knocked out of a game and all of a sudden now it's, it's Iuke's a little banged up and CD and CD or not CD and Debo's there and Kittle's a little banged up and he's got to be the one that goes and wins, wins them a game. Right. Like, you can have all the talent in the world, but there's going to be games in the NFL where, like, you have to do the Patrick Mahomes, the Joe Burrow, the Jalen Hurts, where you're just like, fuck it, you're coming on my back and y'all are coming with me. Because even Kyle Shanahan, as brilliant of a coach as he is, even he can't magically make sure that, like, no games ever gets there, right? He can't be the one that goes out there and does that. He, We need to see if Brock Purdy can do that. And if you ask me right now, I think he can. I genuinely yeah. do. I just want to see it, you know? And so – all the credit in the world. I'm I'm blown away at the kid. He's been unbelievable. This roster is amazing. The defense looks really, really good. I disagree with you when you said that you think their defensive line is better across the board than the Eagles. I think the Eagles are deeper. You now adding Randy Gregory in there like helps, but I think the Eagles are probably better. I don't know. Armstead's really good. I mean, Bosa and Reddick to me is like an almost like a wash. Like I, I think Bosa might have a little bit of an edge, um, but Reddick's really, really fucking good. I, I mean, sack wise, they were number one and number or number two and number three last year behind TJ Watt, um, and then it was TJ Watt, Nick Bosa, and then Hassan Reddick. So, uh, yeah, I, it's tough, man. It, it, they're they're both incredible. To me, it's probably a wash. I don't necessarily know if one's significantly better than the other. I think the Eagles have more depth than interior defensive line. Um, well, and that was the nice part too. Last night is because we were up so much. They're, I mean, mid third quarter, late third quarter, we're putting in the in the second and third units. Yeah, who were like getting meaningful game reps against a good team in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. like that to me is is was one of the the big wins last night. Apart from the the score. Was yeah. that they those guys were able to come in the Kevin Givenses of the world the uh, yeah. uh, the guys on the, along the defensive line who are going to be able to to have value rotating in and out on big third downs especially when it gets to legume cutting time late in the season. 
Yeah, no question. And when guys are, you know, get banged up too, and you need someone to hop in there and play, like, yeah. no question. And and being up so big also helps protect McCaffrey. It protects Kittle. I mean, Kittle had a monster, monster game, three touchdowns. Oh, that, that freaking play. The three catches, <laughs> the three touchdowns. Triple relief flicker that, that went up the yeah, line. Down, the same down play the that the, the Lions yeah. ran. Uh, Earlier, same play yeah, the Lions ran to get Sam Laporta a touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> that was fun. Great, great play. And and we'll do this. We'll wrap up the pod doing everyone's favorite thing, which is let's shit on the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys fucking suck. No, I'm just kidding. They're actually still a very good team. Um, but this is the limitations, right? We've seen them get behind in two games, and all of a sudden this offense has just completely falls apart. If they're not cruising, if they don't have their defense scoring or they're not facing Zach Wilson. This offense just doesn't look good. And this is what I was saying coming into the season. When I picked them to be the seven-seeded wild card, right? I, and everyone was like, what are you talking I, I just – the Kellen Moore stuff I felt was going to be a big issue. They struggle to run the football. In their defense, their offensive line is super banged up already. I know Zach Martin came back, but like 80% of Zach Martin, for as good as he is, is still, you know, it's not great, right? Especially when you're going up against a really, really good defensive line. Um CD Lamb, like again, really, really good wide receiver. I don't think he's in that elite tier up at the top of the league, but the Stephon Diggs and the the AJ Browns, like I, I don't think he's in that class. I think he's a little bit a step below that. I think he's still a legit number one. Um, but Brandon Cooks, I think this is the cliff season. We've said it for years. Like, oh, Brandon Cooks, another thousand yard season. I think this is the cliff season for Brandon Cooks. They're well, getting nothing and, in out of the tight end position. They're getting nothing running yeah. the ball. And then when Dak's getting put into positions where he has to make big throws, he's been terrible. He's been absolutely that, terrible. That interception on the deep ball was so like, egregious. Bad, like, what are you even looking at? Like, Overthrew the guy for that ball. five yards with safety coverage over the in top. Double coverage. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's. It's yeah. bad. It's bad. It's, and the it, thing is, too, it, is we've seen teams now prove that this Dallas defense, for as good as we thought they were going to, they are. And, and look, again, they are still very talented. But now with a couple yeah, sure. injuries, Vander Esch is banged up. No um, uh, Trayvon Diggs on the outside. Like they are, there. there's holes, there's gaps. I think you can run on this team. I think you can throw the ball a little bit, especially now without Diggs on the outside. Uh, and as long as you can, you can at least limit Micah Parsons and don't let him completely wreck the game. I think you'll be able to do a pretty good job. Yeah, I agree Dude, the one, t- the handful of times they moved him uh, around to the right side. We happen to be in, in like a, a, a big set with, uh, with Kittle out on the right side going one-on-one with Micah Parsons. And there was two times I saw on in that game, Kittle just put flat, put Micah Parsons in the dirt. Yeah, on a box. It was it was unbelievable. And he's the uh, only tight end in the NFL that can do that. By the way, <laughs> you know, there's one guy who can do that at the tight end position, and his name's George Kittle. Um, it's crazy. Yeah, and but, that Cowboys offense. The other thing too is like, if if you are are beat them in physicality, and the defensive line beat them in physicality all game long. Yeah, and, but it was a good point uh, this morning. I heard on one of the shows I was watching. It was like the minute Dre Greenlaw absolutely bodied Tony Pollard like picked him up and tackled him and Pollard's looking to the referee, looking for a flag. It was over like, yeah, because you're not getting that. And the Niners are, are more physical than you right now. It's done. Well, and that's, what's going to make the Eagles and Niners game. And and hopefully a, another matchup in the playoffs. So fun is that they're the two most physical teams in the NFL. Yeah. And it's, it's not even close the Eagles in the trenches and the Niners in the trenches. 
they're just physical. And honestly, the Eagles like linebacking unit right now is playing super, super physical. Yeah, and obviously we really know Fonga and Fred Warner and Greenlaw and all those guys, super physical players. But that's why it's like that that game. And that's why I think the Eagles have an edge against the Cowboys too, is that I, I think the Eagles are just more physical than any of those teams. I think they'll be more physical than the Chiefs, even though, again, it's Patrick Mahomes. I, I just – if you can out-physical the other team because you're like our guys are just better, you're going to win a lot of football games. And yeah. even if you're even if you're not playing your A-plus games. And so far the Niners have been playing their A-plus football. The Eagles have been playing like B, B, B-minus, B-plus football. So – as soon as we can get both of those teams riding high and hopefully by December 2nd or December 3rd, whenever that game is, we do. It's going to be really, really fun. It's going to be really fun. All right. That's all we got. Great pod. Thank you to Scotty. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back on Friday. Uh, we will have week six preview in the NFL, the official one third mark of the NFL season already. Week seven of college football too. Oh yeah. God. I know it's going fast by the way. I don't know if you saw, I think there's only like 14 teams left in college football that are still undefeated. Our podcast right now, you and I have not experienced a loss this football season, knock on wood. But yeah, here's that's pretty, that's pretty cool, man. That's pretty fun. Yeah. All right. Penn State's undefeated. JMU is undefeated. Birds and Niners. Can't say the same for Vito. Um, but hopefully we'll get him back on the pod next week. And hopefully we keep let's keep the mojo up with our picks here, right? We're doing really yeah, Texas well. Texas is not back. Texas is not back. Nor is Miami and nor is Notre Dame. So uh, oh. we love that. So we'll, maybe we'll do a little college football talk on Friday's pod as well. So uh, for Scotty, I'm Jeff. We love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk to you guys later on the week. Take it easy, everybody.